This is John from the Boomer Bevo Podcast, the only podcast exclusively dedicated to covering the greatest rivalry in college football, the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas. Tailgating seems to be the big issue right now, and everybody at OU is butthurt that tailgating is changing and that you got to pay for tailgating and tailgating and tailgating and tailgating. I don't care about tailgating. I care about football. I care about winning. I care about defense making tackles and running the ball on offense and stop losing to the likes of Iowa State and Kansas State and Baylor and Oklahoma State. So for all you Oklahoma fans out there, forget about tailgating and get your team to play better. Make sure coach knows they need to play better. I'm all for being there on Saturday and supporting the team, but they better be playing good. Tackling, running the ball, beating the teams we should beat, getting to the college football playoff, and winning national championships. Screw tailgating, boomer sooner. nice how about that <laughs> yeah john winston yeah. making a uh oh yeah making a, an appearance today via podcast how about that <laughs> i love it i i asked him i said uh hey can we use that on the show today <laughs> i don't i don't think that i had sent the text teddy before he texted me back absolutely he was all about <laughs> getting that take out on the show today which it's fair point, man. Um, I, I know people are still upset about the whole tailgating situation, but let's not remember what the well, let's let's remember what the main thing is going into this year. Well, that's true, but how can fans make sure that their team plays better? Hmm. That's what he said. Oh, well, you just tell Lincoln to run the damn football from the stands. <laughs> is what you do. We know that, right? Uh, but yes, the tailgating uh, situation is uh, is an interesting one. I saw that Josh Pate did something on it. I did. I haven't seen what he said yet. Maybe it's not out yet. I don't know. But yeah, no, it is. We have both those clips. We can. Uh, well, yeah, we'll throw it around. Maybe next segment or okay. something. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't like. I, I don't know if the tailgating is still so hot that we need to do a whole hour today but if it's still relevant i don't i don't have fun I, I don't have a problem kicking it around again right um I, I i don't know that there's any is there anything else that that needs to be said about it i i think that i think fans have a right to 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 some frustration about some restricted area unless you pony up a bunch of money and, you know, the, there's some people that say it's not that much money. Who cares? Tailgating's fine. Not that big of a deal. Worry about the play on the field. I, that thing, I, I feel like, is going to play itself out. So, you know, whatever. Um, takes on the text line. Peyton says, loser take. This one from the 918 <laughs> says, I concur. Tailgating has nothing to do with the play on the field. Kendall says, which one would fans rather have this season? Free tailgating around the entire stadium or a national championship. Thanks, guys. Love the show, especially Rocky Kalmus. Well, here's the thing. That's not – that doesn't have to be a trade-off. Of course, fans would rather have a national championship. They would, they would agree to not go to any games at all if they were guaranteed to win a national championship. Um so like Miami fans? <laughs> it, it's exactly right. And you can do both. You can demand that you have good access to tailgating, and you can demand that your team 
plays as good as possible. You could do both of those. It doesn't have to be an either or. 100% agree. I show up, be loud, and go home. Honestly, never cared about tailgating. Um, so there's that take, right, which yeah. is on one side. I, I, I just I cannot emphasize enough how much I love the text line because you read one text, and it's the complete polar opposite the next one you read, and I love that. Right. It is this one, like I just read, 100% agree. I show up, be loud, and go home, never cared about tailgating. Then right next to that, there should be peaceful protest on Lindsay every home game. Can't stop 50,000 people. <laughs> so great. Right. Well, um, I don't know. I think, I think the tailgating situation, it, we all know what it is. I don't think there's anything that's going to change from it this season. I could be wrong. Uh, if you do what the last texter said, show up 50,000 strong on Lindsay Street, you're right. Um, there's there's nothing that they can do about it. So, yeah, I that's that's kind of it. That's, that's kind of where it's at at this point. Um, I see someone saying, how about some info on the scrimmage today? Well, don't have much. I wasn't there. So, uh, and I've only talked to – The guys to, look great. Is that our practice report? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know that they looked great. I mean, I'm guessing there was some, some moments where they looked great, but it it sounds to me like there's just some uh, some some heavy legs, some camp bodies out there where everyone's kind of bumped and bruised, and there may be a moment where the coaches uh, feel like guys are feeling sorry for themselves. Who was it that said that earlier? Um after, it was the Nebraska OC. That's yeah, who it was. Like, after, well, after the guys Thompson. felt sorry for themselves, didn't show up ready to play, and Casey Thompson was like, I thought we looked great today. I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, uh, at the time, I don't I don't have much to add as far as scrimmage. Um, may, may be able to figure out some notes on that a little bit later. But, yeah, I, I think everything's kind of progressing about like they expect. Uh, team is getting better. I've heard, heard the – Talking about the defense, that they're they're getting better slowly but surely. Guys are improving. Guys are getting a better understanding of what's going on out there. Um, you know, coaches still want to see a little bit more toughness, a little bit more physicality out there. But I'll, I'll tell you what: if you're ten and zero and haven't given up a touchdown all season, the coaches are going to want what more physicality, more toughness. It's that's what you're always going to hear from defensive coaches, and that's that's good. That's what you always got to strive for. Uh, text line's popping. 405. Uh, why did I? 405-651-3439. I literally just forgot the text line number, okay. even though I say it 15 times per day. I, I forget 405 it every single 651 day. 405-651-3439. Zane says, hey, this is out of left field, but can you guys think of any recruit in the past that was a high-drama recruit – that actually panned out. When I think of high drama recruit, I instantly think of Tate Martell, and he played at like eight schools in about four years. That's a slight exaggeration, but no, that that, that one didn't pan out. Anyone come to mind for you? I mean, there's a lot of high drama recruits. Like, there's some drama that we don't know about a lot of times. But Honestly, what's like the obvious one that we're missing? I I don't I don't know of I couldn't name you one high drama recruit that uh, that OU's I, I don't I just I guess I don't know who the high drama recruits are 
I know the we had the high drama showdown with Alabama for what was it the Kamar Veaton kid, and oh he went to gosh. Alabama and then he hit the transfer uh, portal and I don't know that he's back on a roster anywhere is he? He's at a is he at SMU I think yeah, I think he's I at think SMU. That's right. I think that's right actually. Yeah. So I, other than that, I just I don't I couldn't even name any high drama recruits. I don't know if this one was high drama or not, but do you remember anything about the Terrell Pryor commitment to Ohio State? Um, I don't remember exactly what the timeline was, but I feel like, because that was back when you only had one signing day. Right. And it was like at the very, you know, right there around February 1. Like that was that was it. That was the only signing day. I don't feel like he actually signed with Ohio State until kind of well after February. Maybe there were some circumstances in there that I don't remember. I don't even know if that was high drama. But if there was drama there, obviously Terrell Pryor worked out pretty well at Ohio State. Yeah. There's probably been some. I Cam Newton worked out at Auburn. I'm sure yeah. that there was some with that whole situation. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know any other Well, ones. I guess Terrell Pryor was a part of that whole tattoo gate, though. So yeah. he was suspended five games of that 2011 season. So maybe it didn't just – I mean, it was it was still good, though. It wasn't like he was – like he won the Heisman Trophy or, any, Heisman Trophy or anything. Well, that that situation led to them getting Urban Meyer, right, and, and winning a national championship. So, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there, even, even though it was a bad thing. Trey McTwire's on here. Yeah, he went to that military school for a year. Doriel uh, Green Beckham is on here. Yeah, I mean, he ended up obviously coming to OU, but never played it down. Was Chris Sims at Texas, high drama. He was at Tennessee first. Was he at Tennessee for a year, and then he transferred to Texas? No. Because he was a New Jersey kid, I believe. I, I feel like he was either committed to or played at Tennessee for a year. He didn't play at Tennessee. I don't think he... He didn't transfer, did he? No. Are you sure? No, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> not at all. I'm not. But uh, he's definitely a New Jersey kid. I thought I thought he was. Um, Tennessee was definitely in his recruitment, though. Right. Yeah. It may have come down to Texas and Tennessee, like we're from the final two there. Right. Yeah. Uh, Anything else on the text line worth getting to? I see them. They're pouring I mean, you, through. You've got it right. You've got it right in front of you there. Parrish Cobb, Smoke Patterson, Joe Mixon had drama, and he worked out. So uh, he didn't Zane, have recruiting yes. drama, did he? Joe Mixon wasn't he? Rec- wasn't he committed to Oklahoma for a long time? Yeah, they're meaning that. I think they're kind of misunderstanding the question there. I mean, obviously there was drama when he was here, but in terms of recruiting drama, there's not a lot that I remember. Right. I mean. He committed at the uh, committed in San Antonio at that U.S. Army All American game, but there have been some recruits, yes, that have had high drama and eventually worked out. But I don't feel like that number is greater than fifty percent. <laughs> uh, I love talk to text. C.D. Lamb was a hydrometer crude. He was a decommit then a recommit. I think that's supposed to be C.D. Lamb was a high-drama recruit. <laughs> Hydrometer crude. That's awesome. Or maybe Jay's just, uh, <laughs> you know, enjoying himself a little bit on this Friday. A couple you know? of ice-cold Pacificos. I, would you judge him if that was the case? 
Yeah, judge him very favorably. That's where I'd like to be. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it's actually worked out before. And I'm sure it's worked out for someone like Alabama recently, unfortunately. Yeah. Nick Saban's uh, still somehow found a way to figure it out. You, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Nebraska earlier, but did you see that Scott Frost estimates there are 15 to 20 total vomits per practice from offensive linemen under their new position coach, Donovan Riola. Yeah. Quotes, it's not because they're not in shape. He's just working them that hard. Yeah, I did see that. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be I, – I do think that that's going to be a, a, a physical game, both, both sides of the ball, offensive line versus our defensive line, our O-line against their D-line. I think it's going to be really physical at the line of scrimmage. And is there a result, like if they go out and they pound Northwestern, which is, you know, it's it's hard to take a whole heck of a lot from that, but is there a result in that game that makes you think, oh boy, we've got a a football game on our hands? No. Well, I mean, we're already factoring that in, right? I don't think that there's a whole lot of people that think that OU's just going to roll up there and win by 28 points or anything. So, dude... They could lose by 28 to Northwestern. And I'm sure we'll still come back that next Monday and say, well, hell, Nebraska got destroyed, but we still think it's going to be a close game. They got, I mean, really, they were lucky to make that game close against Illinois last year. Illinois had put them away by the third quarter. And still, Nebraska came in and played OU tough last year. So to answer your question, no. And that's the for the 15th time this offseason. That's what's frustrating. It does not matter what Nebraska does before they play OU. It right. does not matter what Texas does before they play OU. You know walking into the stadiums that day, it's like, oh, God, none of this before matters. You're in for a dogfight today, and you get no credit if you win this game. Right. Um, this is funny. I'm looking at their uh, – I went to, like, the, the page for Northwestern and Nebraska on, um, on ESPN, and you know how it has, like, their last five games – um, it, both of them lost their last five games. Listen to this. Oh, yeah. The last game Nebraska won was October 2nd last year against Northwestern. The, the last game Northwestern won was October 16th, the week after, against Rutgers. Or I guess they had a bye week in between. But after that, neither one of these teams – it's almost been a calendar year since they've won a football game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and with all that, like, Nebraska's still a double-digit favorite in that game. Yeah, they haven't 13. won a game in almost a calendar year, and they're a 13-point favorite over another fellow Big Ten school. How bad is Northwestern going to be this year? Jeez. And also, what's up with uh, what's up with Nebraska playing these Week Zero games? I don't know. Like, this year, you understand because it's in Dublin – you played that game last year against Illinois. Is that for just trying to get in a marquee window because of where your program's headed? Florida State's playing like Duquesne next weekend. Like, what's the strategy here for some of these Nebraska, Florida State schools, schools like that that are playing week zero? I don't know. Um, I think it gives you – you can get a, a, an early jump on the season – on, on some early opponents, um, you know, draw some attention. You get 
end up getting two bye weeks later in the season? I don't. I honestly, I don't know. I I don't have much of an answer for you. I really don't. The, my guess is networks have went to a bunch of schools asking if they'd like to be week zero, and some schools said yes, some said no, and this is the group that you've you've been left with. I I don't know. Other than that. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if they have future plans to continue to play in Week Zero, but it's like, dang, Florida State, Duquesne in Week Zero. I mean, I could understand trying to get on that week to get a little bit of pub there, like some of these schools that play on Thursday night in Week One, except except you know, other than yeah. that opening Saturday. But you don't get like you're playing Duquesne, Florida State. No one's going to watch that. What do you mean? Play no someone one's gonna at watch least it. with the name. You'll watch no, it. Fl- I will not watch Florida State and Duquesne. I don't. Is it on TV anywhere? Yeah, that might be why I don't watch it. Florida State and Duquesne is on the ACC network. I don't think I have the ACC network. I. This sounds bad for someone that uh, has a is part of a radio show, sports talk. I don't even know where the ACC network is. Like, well, I that's don't. Don't feel bad. That's what Florida State fans are saying now that they just realize that football season is eight days away for them. I don't even know where on the like the menu guide or whatever. I don't even know where that game or that uh, network is. So, North Texas UTEP not televised. That's going to be maybe the best game of the entire weekend. Yeah, Nevada New Mexico State not televised. What's the point in playing a week zero game if it's not televised? Every other game you play will be, won't it? Hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right, uh, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on. Keep hitting the text line. I see him coming in. 651-3439. It is the rush live on the ref for the homeless suitor fans. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. I'm at Westwood Park Golf Course. Come check out Westwood this weekend. The course is in excellent shape. And the temperatures, I think, are about to cool down as well. 2.30 is the UTEP game. you got a night game against Kent State. Maybe you can sneak in 9 or 18 holes before you head over to the stadium. It's right here in Norman, and it's, a, it's an awesome. It's an awesome facility. Enjoyed spending basically the entirety of the summer Fridays out here as well. It's been cool. All right, uh, it's the Athletic now, Teddy. They have ranked the 20 most influential games of the 2000s. And instead of starting at number 20, let's just start at number one and work our way up here. And when I initially read that they think that the Alabama-Ohio State Sugar Bowl after the 2014 season, which that was the first year of the playoff. When I initially read that, it was like, really? I mean, that was a big win by Ohio State. They won the title, but that's not the most influential game of the 2000s. But their reasoning actually has a little bit of merit because – That was the game where Nick Saban realized, okay, I might have to change what I do offensively. I've been rolling three yards in a cloud of dust here for the past seven, eight years at Alabama, and they say that that was the real shift in his offensive identity, which has obviously parlayed into several more championships after that loss to the Buckeyes. Yeah, and that may be right. Um, That game was crazy because – it looked like they were going to just destroy Ohio State uh, yeah. in the first half. And then I think Ohio State did something right before halftime, right before they ran in, if I remember right, and then uh, didn't look back after that. Pretty wild. Most influential game, 
okay, perhaps. Just, Maybe that's I right. mean, just because I don't – only because – not because Ohio State won it. It's more because Nick Shaban right. – Nick Saban, he, he shifted his that, – that's why. He shifted his offensive philosophy, and it was the right move for him. Number two is 2007, Appalachian State in Michigan. Huh. Um. That kind of really started a significant downfall for the Michigan football program that they hadn't really recovered from until, well, I guess last year when they finally beat Ohio State. But I, I guess that's what I'm saying is number two for most influential, I don't know. Michigan wasn't great before that. They haven't been great since until last year. I, what exactly did it influence, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it, I think the obvious here is it was – I mean, Michigan was a lot better before that than they have been after that. But I think the obvious is, you know, that was the first mid-major type of school to right. upset a giant like that. Right. And yeah. that was the first game on the Big Ten Network. I didn't realize that. Ooh. That was the first game broadcasted <laughs> on the Big Ten Network. Yes. And Appalachian State won in the big house. That's amazing. Number three, uh, eye roll, whatever. Got to give it credit, I guess. Texas beats USC in the national championship game. Really kind of ending, for the most part, that USC three-, four-year run that they had. Yeah, it was – that was – I don't know what the influence coming out of that game was one way or the other, but that was that was that felt like one of the biggest moments we'd seen in college football in a long time, right? Like that that game was huge. Just the star power, uh like the way the whole thing played out. Like that if you can envision, if you're a network and if you could envision how the se- the the season would end, like the type of game and who's in the game and the type of players in the game and who's in attendance and everything, like that is it. That's what you would want, right? Is that still the highest rated college football game we've seen in the past 20 years? Is that right? It would not shock me at all if it was. Yeah. Number four is the Florida-Ohio State BCS title game uh, for the 2006 year. Florida actually ran Ohio State that night, but its relevance is that that's really when the SEC started to assert its dominance. Yeah. They went on a long string of national championship wins when Florida beat Ohio State that night. Yeah, no, that's right. That is, they have not looked back since. Um, number five, do I even have to read it, or can we just move on? What is it, Boise State? Because honestly, man, I just don't – I do we really want to sit here and revisit that with on a Friday afternoon where everyone's in a good mood heading into the weekend? We, do we need to do that? We all know what happened. Well, I, I would like to, to know – obviously, it was a big game. Obviously, it was a, a wild outcome. Obviously, it's one that everyone in the country was rooting for except for Oklahoma. But – what was how was that one of the most influential? What what was the influence that it had? Because they compare it to George Mason reaching the Final Four, Be, Boise beating OU in a New Year's Day bowl game is the college football equivalent to George Mason reaching the Final Four. Like Appalachian okay. State beat Michigan, 
but it was, you know, the season opener there. It was still extremely relevant, but it wasn't in a big-time bowl game. That was the first time that a school of, like, Boise State had been in a BCS bowl game, really. I know Pitt and Utah did, but I think that they had even more street cred at that point than what Boise State had. And and maybe maybe the theory is, and I don't know, that, hey, we can allow some of these good non-Power 5 schools into these big-time bowl games. I, I guess that's the influence that it had. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, number six is the 2011 Oklahoma State-Iowa State game when OSU lost in Ames. And I think the thought Mm. here is the drama that that created in that final BCS poll that year with the LSU-Alabama rematch, the thought here is that that is what really moved forward a four-team playoff, or or at least the idea of it. Yeah, I I mean, that it it was controversial for sure. And Oklahoma State definitely had uh, had a argument to be in the national championship. And even the loss, Thursday night, on the road, obviously dealing with big-time tragedy within the, the university athletic department. Yes, I, and I would agree with that. That that um, and I, I don't remember if necessarily that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, but I, I can I can definitely tie it to that. I can see how it would tie to that. Yeah, um, I'll just roll through the the top ten really quick. Number seven is a game that you've probably never heard of. Two thousand Northwestern in Michigan. Oh, Northwestern yeah. ran up like yeah whatever. <laughs> Northwestern ran up like uh, six hundred and fifty four yards on ninety plays. And I guess that the thought is that that was kind of the birth of the wide-open offense. Like, Northwestern was trying to do something new. Michigan is, we're the Michigan men. We run traditional football, you know. And that new era from a school like Northwestern, that offense beats Prattle, Michigan that day. Yeah, nice. Um, Uh, Number eight is 0-2. You know who was coaching on that Northwestern team? Kevin Wilson was. Yeah, look at you. Yeah. How about that? O two was Texas, Texas Tech. Same thing. Mike Leach, kind of his first big signature win out there against Texas because he was throwing it around. O uh, nine was USC and Oregon. Twenty ten was the twenty thirteen Alabama Auburn game. The uh, kick six. Yeah. Uh. That was that was a crazy atmosphere crazy game but i don't i don't know what the influence is i'm sure there's there's something there but um well we heard that story a few weeks ago that nick saban almost quit coaching and i don't believe it but he almost quit coaching and just rolled to espn as an analyst that play was so influential that people quit kicking um right before halftime or the end of a game on super long field goals because it made well, it returned. Everyone except Not. for OU who <laughs> right. had one against them in 2016 against Houston. Yeah. Uh, why are we reliving these memories today? Um, I, I think, you know, that's this is not the first list of the 20 most influential games of the 2000. But I never see the OU Florida State game ever mentioned. And I don't think that it's top 10 most influential, but – it is relevant in that Florida State, I think at that 
January 3rd, 2001, before the game started, I think that they were the most relevant program in college football. Won it in 93, played for it in 98, won it in 99, and we're trying to play for it again or win it again in 2000. Like, OU ended, like, that night ended the Florida State dynasty, if that's even what they had at that time. Yeah. So I, I think that that's pretty significant that a major name like Bobby Bowden, by far and away his best years at Florida State, OU ended Florida State's run that night, and it took them 13 years to get back to being a, a national title contender again. Right. Well, um, I I think, you know, after having watched the first episode of the Manti Teo documentary, I think the most influential thing in uh, college football, it wasn't a game, but it may have been that catfish situation because when Teo thought his girlfriend was sick in a coma, he played his ass off that season, <laughs> and Notre Dame ended up in a national championship. And that, so you telling and that me, got you them telling back. Me, you telling me if that doesn't happen, OU beats them in Norman in 2012? Uh, Just go ahead and say it. It's fun yeah, to say it out loud. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Fake girlfriend. Cost OU. Fake girlfriend. That's it. And um, little does USC know, but – his high school coach cost them like one of the best high school or uh, college players we've seen in a long time right before uh right before signing day all right quick time out more from the rush coming up hit some things that caught my eye next it is the rush on a friday tyler mccombs teddy layman we call this segment what caught teddy's eye let's get to it story number one is uh, first, let me give a quick shout-out to uh, friends over at Roof Tech. Josh Tucker runs a business over there, former teammate of mine. Give him a call if you have any roofing needs. Uh, there's a couple of rule changes going into effect this year. Um, one that we talked about, someone asked the other day, faking injuries. Um, now, there's not going to be any game penalty for faking injuries, but a team can send in a film of what they think is someone faking an injury, and that goes to the head of officiating over college football, and they can appeal to the conference for some type of punishment, and it's up to the conference to dish out punishment if they want to if a team is faking injuries. Wonder like if the kid would be suspended for the first half of the next game. That kind of seems like that would be the case. I don't. I don't know if they would. I don't know if they. I don't know what a just kid. punishment is in that situation. I don't know. Fine them. I. I have no idea. Fine them. <laughs> we. We could be in the business of finding college athletes now. Right. I. I just. I don't know. I don't know what else you're going to do. Like you can't. Do you suspend the player if you think he's faking an injury? I mean, that's I kind of feel like that's on the too? coaches for that. Um, but I guess they would uh, stop pretty quickly asking guys to get down. Um, defensive holding. This is no shock. It pisses me off, but it's no shock. Uh, it's now a step down from pass interference. The punishment for defensive holding has been increased. Um, it is now... Always a 10-yard penalty and an automatic first down. Wow. Um, it was a five-yard previously. 
I, um, I, I think you know this. I think we all know this. But I've got bad news. Uh, when we read rule changes from here on out, you're not going to see very many, if any, where you say, oh, okay, yeah, 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 that, that significantly helps out the defensive guys. Yeah, I guess. All offense, man, I think changing. The, I think the change for that is – uh, you could have a you could have a defensive holding penalty was previously ten yards, but it was not an automatic first down. So say it was third and fifteen, and you had a right. defensive holding is now third and five instead of an automatic first down. But now, yay, automatic first down for the offense. There is one for the defense. Now it's almost completely illegal to block below the waist. Um, the only people that can block below the waist now are. Um, lineman in the box inside the tackle box so a tight end like on the line of scrimmage at the end cannot block below the waist and that is a that's a big change that's all i got uh first one i have urban meyer is back on big noon like it love it hate it don't care don't care at all um doesn't change anything for me i thought he did a good job on there um the stuff that he's done recently is cringy, to say the least. But you know, I I'm shocked that they're putting him back on there. It seems like he's pretty much unanimous, unanimously looked at as one of the most disliked people in college football. Yeah, I, I don't. Um, I, when I say I don't think I'm going to watch that show very much this year, I'm not not just because Urban Meyer's back on. I, I found myself saying I'm only watching this because of Bob last year because I never watched it before and I really only watched it last year for him so it didn't really matter who they put in Bob's spot I wasn't really going to watch it anyway but at the same time I don't know which one I'm going to watch because I'm not crazy about ESPN college game day right now either yeah um I I'm with you on that I probably won't watch much of it um it is interesting though now that there's no tie-in for ESPN to the Big Ten I you're going to have uh, pretty much all Big Ten fans, and that's a big group of, of fans. Really no interest anymore in ESPN game it's day, true. right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. That's going to be interesting to see how that ratings game oh, works hey, out. One more um, quick one, real quick. Uh, on, yeah. I forgot to bring this one up. Targeting. If a, if a targeting penalty happens in the second half and a guy's ejected and he, you know, he misses the, uh, the next game also – they c- you can now appeal that decision. So that's just I like added. that. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Um, I- I've got a-, I got a stat for you here that I found via um, an article in The Athletic today. And I guess this is just, you know, Vegas flexing a little bit here to yeah. show in how good they are when it comes to sports gambling and college football. So underdogs in college football since 2017 – there's been 4,006 games in college football since 2017. Teddy, the underdogs against the spread are 1,985 to 1,955. There's been 66 pushes in those games. It's a, five, it's a 50, uh, 503 win rate for underdogs in college football against the spread. Wow. I mean, r- right at 50% over 4,000. Over four thousand games, man. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That's that is kind of interesting. That is, uh, that's fascinating. And I wouldn't go out there if I was Vegas and be throwing those statistics out because 
it's like you're convincing everyone that, see, you shouldn't gamble on it, you know? Right, yeah. Um, like, that's going to stop anybody, right. by the way. no doubt. That's never going to stop anybody. So they also had, like, which schools have been the most frequent favorites when it comes to gambling in college football? Bama's been the favorite the most over uh, since 2017, 68 times. Their record against the spread in those 68 games, 37-31, and 31, so they got a you know winning record there. Clemson's been favored in 65 games. They're 37-27-1. That's a pretty good clip by Clemson. Right. Georgia also a pretty good record when they're a favorite. 62 games, they're 37-25. and And then you have OU, the fourth most frequent favorite since 2017, 60 times. OU's under 500, 29-30-1, a sub-500 winning percentage. Nobody else in the top six has a sub-500 winning percentage against the spread as a favorite. Make wow. anything of that at all or no? Uh, yeah. All of those those other teams that you're talking about have played excellent defense in recent years. And if, you know, Oklahoma's always a big favorite like because their offenses are so good, the spread is usually pretty steep. And if you're not playing good defensively, it doesn't take much at all for teams to get inside that. Man, I mean, that's a massive discrepancy. Georgia's been great. Clemson's been great. Bama, like for them to be over 500 for as much as they're, you know, favored on a weekly basis, that's impressive. Oh, you under 500, it's like, huh, okay. Yeah. It's telling for sure. Yep. That's all I have, by I the agree. way. All right, quick time out. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number two next. 15 days until kickoff in Norman, our final non-football Friday of the year. A week from now, oh, it's going to be a football Friday. Not a great slate of games in week zero, but who cares? College football is back in eight days, and I cannot wait for game week starting next Monday. It is The Rush live on The Ref. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman here with you. I'm at Westwood Park Golf Course. I might be getting trolled on this because I did not see Colin actually talk about it, but there's a graphic going around on the Internet for Colin Cowherd's top 25. He has Ohio State at one, Bama at two, USC at three, Texas at four, Tennessee at five, UCLA at six, Utah at seven, Nebraska at eight, Louisville at nine, and North Carolina at ten. This has got to be a joke. There's no way this is accurate. Even for that guy, I'll give him at least a little bit of credit. No way that's true. Um, uh, Ohio State is... Is really interesting. There's there's some folks that are familiar with the program that are saying their offense is going to be maybe one of the best offenses we've seen in college football uh, in a long time, if They're not They're great ever. at quarterback. They're great at wide receiver, which, you know, everyone talks about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson being gone. Well, <laughs> The third wide receiver, he was the leading receiver on the team last year. Right. So there'll be a fight. JSN, I mean, he's, he's good. We got Marvin Harrison Jr. out there as well. They're great at quarterback. They're great at wide receiver. They got a really good running back as well. If they're good on the offensive line, yeah, that could be the case, man. Yeah. It really could be. Yep. I'm interested to see what uh, what we see out of that, that defense. Um, you know, I, one year – Flipping the script on on what they've done defensively lately is not going to be easy, but 
there's it's a talented roster, so you should have the ability to do something there defensively, and it may not matter much. So are you what you're hearing about Ohio State and their offense, which is not a surprise, right. but glowing reviews. Is it changing your mind at all about Bama just being the overwhelming favorite to win the title this year? Nope. It's not. It's not. I I think there's – there's some question marks around uh, around Day, in my opinion. I th- I think he handles himself really well. I'm not I'm not saying that he hasn't. It seems like he's done a really really good job there, in all different facets. He quickly made a move on defense whenever the standard dropped a little bit. You know, we'll see if they can pick it back up. But I know the track record with Saban. I know what to expect. I know it's going to be consistent. I know it's going to be good on both sides of the ball. You know, C.J. Stroud is maybe better than Alabama's quarterback, but it ain't going to be by much, you know. And Alabama's defense, I think, is definitely going to be better than Ohio State's. It'll be interesting if that's the title game because we've always been split via conferences, but now it truly is the SEC versus the Big Ten. If that's your title game matchup, that'll be, yeah, that's a storyline. All right, quick timeout. we got the final hour of the rush next.